chapter 26 of Hilchas Malva the laws of a lender and borrower. Today's chapter contains 12 halachas and will continue with the laws of an orev, a guarantor for a loan. Perek Shishva Esri in the 26th chapter, Halacha Aleph. When one does come to collect from the guarantor, the Rambam now will deal with whether he can only collect from things which the guarantor has presently in his possession, or even things which are meshubodim, things which this guarantor has sold. Can he go to someone that has bought things from this guarantor and collect from them also, even from the meshubodim? So it depends how exactly he became an Arif. Hamal v'yashavera b'shtar. If one person lends money to another with a document, and after the witnesses have given testimony and signed on this document, along comes the guarantor and offers to become a guarantor for the borrower. In this case, since he came after the document was signed, even though he made a Kenyan suder by picking up a, a garment with the lender. And therefore, he has obligated himself to pay, as we explained at the beginning of the previous parak, that normally after Matan Mois, after the money has been given, one cannot become a guarantor. But after Kenyan suder, then he can become a guarantor. So even though he has obligated himself to pay, nevertheless, when the lender comes to pay off this loan from the belongings of this guarantor, he cannot collect from belongings which are meshubed, which are presently not in his possession, but have been sold or given to someone else, but rather subjugated to any debts which this of might have. Although the of the guarantor, had the responsibility of paying off this loan since he signed him, his name was put on the document after the witnesses already signed the Nechosim Mishubadim could not be used to fulfill his obligation as guarantor and even earlier if it was in the document itself even before the witnesses signed nevertheless if he was put there separately it merely says that such and such a person is the guarantor. And he has not mixed up, mentioned together with the borrower regarding this loan. So to here we cannot collect from Mishubadim, from objects which are, have, have been bought or given by him to someone else. If the two were tied together, and it says in the document that this person borrowed from another such and such an amount, and this person is the guarantor, so there is a vav, which is joining together the borrower with the guarantor. They mix together the borrower together with the arev. The guarantor in this document, and there was Kenyan Suda between the lender and this guarantor. And afterwards, the witnesses signed the document. This lender can later on collect even from the Mishabodim of this guarantor. Even his obligation is so great. That is as if he himself has taken the loan. And just as from the borrower, one could collect from the Mishabodim, so too from him. That he is considered equivalent on the Shtar. And just as the Milvim Bishtar can be collected from Mishabodim, so too to collect from the guarantor. 
Halacha Beis. Malvish Ataves Haleva Valei Motzalei Nechosim. The lender comes to claim repayment from the borrower and he does not find any possessions. He has nothing to collect from. Although he is allowed to go to the guarantor, he is not allowed to extract repayment from this guarantor until after 30 days that this Arev became responsible to pay. Because the power of the guarantor should not be any less than that of the borrower himself. And we learned in Patek Chavbeis that we give the, the borrower 30 days in which to come up with the money. As explained there at length. So just as we give the borrower himself gets 30 days, so too the guarantor should get 30 days. Because they And so too the legal authorities have ruled. However, if there was a stipulation between them, however, between the audit, the guarantor, and the lender, then everything goes according to the condition. And the principle is called any stipulation in financial matters is binding. The Rambam has mentioned many, on many occasions. The lender comes to claim repayment from the borrower and he does not find any belongings. This borrower is not able to push away the lender that you should go to my Orev Kablan. As we explained in the previous paddock, that there's the idea of an Orev, a regular Orev, a regular guarantor. One cannot approach first. First one must go to the borrower and see if he has money. Should he not have with what to repay them, one can go to the guarantor. However, there is a stronger type of responsibility, that of a kablin or an order of kablin. This is someone that says, give it to him and I'll give it back to you. Should someone make such an unequivocal statement of support for the borrower, he is taking a greater responsibility on himself, that of the kablin. And therefore, one can even go to that person first, this Kamblin, before he even goes to the borrower. So, so, so you might think that the borrower himself could say, look, you have a Kamblin, you're allowed to go to him first, go to him first. Go to him first. So the Rambam says it's not true. The lender himself, if he wishes, he can go to the Kamblin first. But the borrower cannot force him to go to the Kamblin first. He cannot force him away. That you should go to this Kablan first, because you were allowed to claim from him first. The lender, excuse me, the borrower cannot force the lender to do so. The lender can claim from whoever he wishes from first. However, if the Kablan himself, this guarantor, was the one to take the money from the lender and give it to the borrower. In this case, he has put himself right in the middle and ain la malve biyad klum. In this case, the lender has no claim whatsoever against the borrower. His whole claim is against the kablin. Since the kablin himself was to effect the transfer, should he collect from the kablin, the kablin will later on go to the borrower and say, you must pay me back the money and so on. But in terms of getting payment for himself, the lender only must deal with the Kablan. Let's say, Let's say that the borrower was in another country, another land or city, and one could not notify him or come to him there. Or the borrower 
and died and left minor heirs Sha'in Bezdin Niskokin that the Jewish court is not obligated to take care and interfere with their belongings. In either of these cases it's considered as if the borrower himself is not present. And therefore in this case he's allowed to go first to the guarantor because the the lender is not around, he's not readily found, therefore one can go directly to the Arab in such a case, even if he is not a Kablan. A lender came to demand repayment from a borrower and he finds that he is poor. In such a case, one is not allowed to extract repayment from the guarantor until he take until the borrower takes an oath according to the fixed law of the later commentaries meaning the generation of the Ga'inim and what does he have to swear that he has no money at all there is nothing with which he can pay off this loan which as the Rambam explained in Perak Beis Allah Beis and El Chazmal that in the event that the borrower claims he has nothing, our sages decree the Ga'inim that he should make a Shvua Chamura Ke'in Shaltera, that he should hold a Torah scroll, but Akita's Chayfetz, and make a very serious oath that he has no belongings. And the reason they did this because they saw that people were hiding all of their belongings, trying to get out of paying back loans. And the law is that one is not allowed to enter his house to look for belongings, and therefore people stopped lending money because they saw that the borrowers kept cheating them and not paying back. At that point, the Ga'inim established that people should be forced to take an oath, and this, that they will hold the Sefer Torah and be forced to lie, results in their telling the truth. And therefore, so too in this case, before one could go to the Arif, one forces the borrower to make the same oath in this case. Perhaps there is a conspiracy going on against the belongings of this Arif, of this guarantor. For example, the lender and borrower can get together and they'll make the following agreement. You borrower, you make believe you don't have any money. Since you don't have any money, I'll be able to go over to the guarantor to the Arif. Later on, the money will be taken away from him. We'll split the money ourselves under the table. He'll come back to you to ask for his money back, and you'll say that you have none. And in this way, they will end up increasing their wealth at the expense of the Arif. Therefore, we force the borrower to take an oath in order to avoid this situation. Someone that was an Arif, a guarantor for a verbal loan, Along comes the lender to make a claim against the guarantor because the borrower is in another country, which as he mentioned previously, in Allah Gimel, should he be in another Medina, one can go directly to the audit, to the guarantor. In this case, the guarantor is allowed to say, First, you must bring up proof that the borrower has not paid you back. And only then will I pay. Because as we learned earlier in these halachas, even in a milva, in a milva al in a verbal agreement, the, the claim, I paid you back, could be made. 
Because somebody that borrows, in the, even if he borrows in the presence of witnesses, he does not have to pay back in the presence of witnesses, as we learned at the beginning of these halachas. And therefore, he has the possibility of claiming paraiti, since he himself could claim paraiti. So too, the Arif can claim paraiti. Again, his power should not be any worse. Halachavav. In this halacha, the Rambam will give many cases in which it seems the guarantor has gone beyond what the borrower would want in terms of him as repaying the loan on his behalf. An order of a guarantor who preceded himself, he got up before the borrower himself did and gave the lender his, his debt. He can go back and collect from the borrower himself everything he paid. Even though it was merely an oral agreement, an oral loan, and there were no or there were no witnesses whatsoever. In other words, even though he would have been able to claim paraiti or other legal claims, and perhaps he could have gotten out of it, nevertheless. The, the, if the guarantor pays, the, the borrower is required to pay him back. But when does this apply that he has such authority? When he was explicitly told by the borrower at the time that he became a guarantor, be an order for me and then you will pay. Since he authorized him to pay, he therefore takes responsibility that when the Arif considers it necessary to pay something, he's going to pay the guarantor back. But if by his own accord he went, he became a, a guarantor or an Arif Kablan, or the borrower merely told him, be a guarantor for me. But he didn't give him permission to give and pay back the debt. In such a case, the borrower is not required to pay him back anything. And so too, someone that pays off someone else's debt without notifying him, and even if the debt of this other person was with a mashkan, he had given an object for safekeeping, and therefore certainly he's not going to be able to get out of this loan, it seems. Nevertheless, should somebody else pay, the borrower does not have to pay that other, that third party back, who is acting as an audit. And then he can take back his collateral without any payment. And the one that bothered to step in and give the money on someone else's behalf has lost this money. Because perhaps our borrower would have been able to, to, to soothe and appease the lender and therefore he would be Michael, he would give up on the entire debt. Let's say Mais Haleva, Vakidama Aravapara Hachaif, Kaidam Shiyadiya Sayarashim. Let's say the borrower died and the guarantor came and paid off the debt to the lender before notifying the, the heirs of the estate. The estate of the, the, the heirs of the person that borrowed the money. So in Naidalana Shalepara Halevashtar Khaive. If we know for sure that this borrower did not pay off the loan before he died, how could we be sure? For example, he already admitted himself that he didn't pay. Or he has been placed in excommunication and died in that state, which shows that he still 
has not paid back the loan, otherwise he would have been released from the band. Or the time has not yet reached that the loan is due. And it is a chazaka, it is a presumption, as we mentioned previously in these halachas, that a person does not repay a loan before the time in which it is due. Therefore, in all of these cases, it's crystal clear to us that he has not repaid. The, the, the borrower has not repaid. Therefore, Therefore, this guarantor who pays off the lender can go back and, and uh, collect from the heirs of the estate everything he paid. Let's say, that the lender was a non-Jew. In such a case, the heirs are not required to pay. Perhaps originally their father had given the guarantor the entire amount of money which he owed. And the reason he did so is that since the, the, in Goyesha law, the guy first is allowed to demand repayment from the guarantor, he doesn't even have to go to the borrower himself. In Goyesha law, in Yiddishah law, he must go first to the borrower and only thereafter to the guarantor. In Goyesha law, it's the opposite. He can go directly to the guarantor. Therefore, since he, the borrower knows that the guarantor is going to be the first one to have to repay in Goyesha law, therefore, at first he gave him the money. Therefore, this type of Arav is allowed to pay himself even before he notifies the, the orphans of the estate. And since we assume that their father gave him the money, therefore he has no right to go and reclaim this payment from the same themselves. Why should he be paid twice for the same thing? The money he gave was not even his money, it was the money of their father. However, if he first notifies them, he notifies the heirs, that the guy is now bringing him to court, and he is going to give them money, should he notify them before, then they have a responsibility to pay, them, to pay him since he notified them previously. Halacha Zayin. Halacha Zayin. Any art of a guarantor who had to pay money, and now he's coming to reclaim this which he paid. Regardless of whether he's coming to collect from the borrower himself, or from the heirs of the borrower after the borrower has died, he is required to bring some proof that he already paid. Why should they give him money if he cannot prove he paid anything in the first place? Usually, proof that something is paid is the document itself. If a lender, for example, a borrower, for example, pays off a loan, since originally there was a document, now the document is paid. The lender gives the document back to the borrower. However, in this case, the evidence of this particular document, which the borrower, it would show that the borrower owed the lender money, this itself is not a sufficient proof that he paid. Perhaps the document really fell from the possession of the lender and he has not yet paid off any of, any of it whatsoever. Since there is this possibility that he did not pay anything, he must first bring a proof before he can collect anything from the borrower himself or from the heirs of the borrower. This halacha will deal with various possible disagreements which could arise between the borrower and the audit, the guarantor. If 
the, the borrower tells the Arab, Araftali, you were my Arab, my guarantor. But who I Lord But he answers, No, I was not your guarantor. Or the guarantor tells the borrower, that you gave me permission to be your guarantor and to give the money. And now I'm demanding it back from you. No, I didn't ask you to do so. You became guarantor from your own free will. Or he claims, no, you never became my guarantor. Or the guarantor claims that I paid back this loan in front of you. But the other one, the borrower says, no, you didn't pay back this loan, and therefore I don't owe you anything. Aisha Amarle or the lender the borrower answers him, Kane Paraita, Vanasati Lochamasha Paraita. True, you did pay back. And therefore I owed I owed you money, but Vanasati Lochamasha Paraita, I already gave you back to cover you for what you paid. Aisha Omar Amalva, or if the lender claims Araftali Masayan, he claims you guaranteed and took responsibility for two hundred. This Arif says, He agrees partially, he's made to be mixed, but says, I was only responsible for a hundred. And all of these following claims are similar ones. The following principle applies. One person wants to take money from another one, he must bring the proof. Whoever it is who is trying to, to take money away from the other must bring the proof. Otherwise, he is not allowed to extract the money. However, an oath will have to be taken. What kind of oath? It depends what kind of claim is being made. Either the one that is being complained against must take a rabbinic oath if he is being a kefir hakol, completely denying the claim against him. Or he must take a oath by Torah decree if he partially agreed to the case against him. For example, the one that said, well, who, was, who was accused of being a guarantor for 200 and he answered only 100. Since the, the lender is a Maitzi Mechaver, he's trying to take away the extra 100 from this person, he must bring the proof. Should he not do so, the guarantor is exempt. But nevertheless, he is a Maitzi Mechaver and must take an oath of the Torah, Keshara Koltainas Ammonman, just as in any other financial claims. A slave, a servant, or a married woman, both of whom are under either the, the, the possession or the financial control, at least, of their master or their husband, respectively. Either they borrowed money or they became guarantors for loans of other people and therefore now have a personal financial responsibility. And it became necessary for them to pay money. Now, obviously, while they're still under control of their master or husband, respectively, they are not allowed to pay anything because whatever they own is not theirs personally. It belongs to their master or it belongs to their husband, as the case may be. And therefore, they, they made themselves a personal obligation. They can't take someone else's money, their master or husband's money, and use that to repay. But nevertheless, whenever the slave is freed and becomes a full-fledged Jew, or the woman becomes divorced and once, or, or widowed, and then is once more in her own reshus, in, uh, under her own self-control, they are required to pay. 
although at the time that they entered into the obligation they could not pay, nevertheless the obligation is binding and they must pay later on. Halachidut. Cotton shall love a child who borrowed money, Chayev Lashalem Keshayagdil. He is required to pay once he grows up and reaches the age of Bar Mitzvah. He is required to pay. And this is speaking, the commentaries say, about a cotton who at least is at the age where he understands business dealings, the age of Pu'utes. But lower than this age, approximately the age of six, any agreement he makes, any money that he borrows is not considered to have financial responsibility associated with it. However, the ain't case when love star. One cannot write a document saying that the child owes this money. It's considered only to have the strength of an oral loan. Even though a Kenyan was done. And normally when the Kenyan was done, this would give it the strength of making it a... a, a a milva b'shtar and have it done with a document. However, here, even even though there is a kinyan, it is not considered to be any more than an oral loan. She'ain kinyan miyad ha'katan klum. Because kinyan from a cotton, an act of acquisition from a child, is not considered to be anything anyway. A child does not have the power and presence of mind to enter such an obligation. Therefore, it's considered only to be an oral loan. Halacha yir when does the child have this responsibility, though? Only when he himself has borrowed the money and is therefore getting benefit from it. However, a child, and not that he himself borrowed money, but he became an of a guarantor for someone else's loan. The Gainim ruled that he does not have to pay back anything even after he grows up. And the person that gave lent money based on the statement of this child that he's going to be the guarantor, it's his own fault. He caused his own money to be lost. A child does not have sufficient knowledge in order to obligate himself in something he really doesn't have to do. Not to become a guarantor or anything similar. He might have the ability to borrow money, because this he is using concretely, and therefore he has some responsibility. But to make himself a guarantor for someone else to borrow money, this is something which a cotton does not have the dust to do. But then Emesu became the Roy Lodin. This is a law of truth, and so too it is fit to rule. And now the final Allah of the Perak Allah Yadbeis. We mentioned in Allah test that a married woman who borrowed money is not allowed to repay until her husband no longer has control over her. Let's say she borrowed the money or, or became a guarantor before she got married, when she was single. How does the marriage affect her responsibility then? A woman who borrowed money with a document, or she became a guarantor with a document, and then she became married. Now all of her belongings now belong to her husband. And one might think that she is not allowed to repay, since it's not her money anymore. Nevertheless, she is required to pay, whether it is the money she herself borrowed or the money she became a guarantor for, even after she is married. That since her belongings became meshubat, the repayment of this loan, or as guarantor for this loan, before she ever got married, the marriage is only able to bring these possessions into the into the 
ownership of the husband to the extent that they are not meshuba, that there's no previous claim on them. Since there is a previous claim on them, then they can still be used to satisfy that claim. And should it have been an oral agreement, in that case, she is not allowed to repay until she gets divorced or widowed. Why Because this, that her husband gets possession over her, over her belongings, as the Rambam has explained many times, is considered like he has bought her belongings. He is considered like a lekeach. And the difference, one of the major differences between an oral loan and a written loan, is that in a, in a written loan, one can take even from the mishubadim, even from the lekuches. If, should the borrower have sold land or something similar to another person after he borrowed money, when the lender comes to collect, if he cannot get collect from the borrower himself, he will be tarif min From the people that bought from this borrower, he will take away that land from them. However, that's only a meal of a bishtar, should there be a document. In a meal of pen, oral agreement, one is not allowed to take from the lakeach. One can only take from b'nei chayrim, those belongings which are presently in the possession of the borrower. Over here, when she got married, her husband is considered like a lekeach, as the Ramam explained many times. And since she only has a milva balpeh over here, she, the, the fact that her husband has bought these possessions, although there is a shibud on them previously to pay, a lo- pay off this loan, just like the regular case of shibud, that the, le- that the land was first mashubud to someone else, and then he became a lekeach, he bought it, it cannot be taken away from him, because it's only a milva alpeh. When can it be taken away from him, the, Ram- the-, the Rambam said at the beginning of the lacha, when it was a shalovs a bishtar, or of a bishtar, because in the case of a document, one can be taken up even from the lekuches. But in this case, since it was only oral, one could not take away from the husband, since he is considered like a lekeach, with an oral loan, one cannot take away from the lekuches. Therefore, she can only pay after she is divorced or widowed. However, if the very money itself which was lent is still in existence. In other words, it's not that she's going to be paying back with other money. But this same money is still there. It has never been used. Then she returns them to the lender. That since they are still in their original unused form, it's considered as if the husband never actually acquired them, they never came into his possession, and therefore they remain with their previous shibud, and they're obligated to be given back to the lender.